Welcome to the EO Podcast with Brett Kiesling, part of the EO Podcast Network. Hello, my friends. Thank you for listening. My name is Brett Kiesling, and as it says on my business cards, I'm a passionate advocate for employee ownership. I'm very excited to bring you part two of my conversation with Jenny Levy, who's the Executive Vice President for People, Community, and Environment at Hypertherm. We covered a lot of territory in part one, which was episode 192 of the EO ESOP podcast. I hope you'll check it out as well as all of the other episodes in our archives at www.esoppodcast.com. In this episode, we're going to hear about the Hypertherm Hope Foundation, Hypertherm's status as a recovery-friendly workplace, which is an excerpt we aired on the ESOP minicast last Friday, and some thoughts about women in manufacturing generally and at Hypertherm. Before we begin, I do want to give a shout-out and congratulations to Jesse Tyler, who's host of the Owner to Owner podcast as part of the EO Podcast Network. We do talk about Jesse a lot on this podcast, and he'll come up again in my conversation in just a few minutes with Jenny. But I was very pleased to see on LinkedIn that he has been promoted to Senior Experience Specialist at Hypertherm, and that means that he's moving from the talent acquisition team to the talent development team. Got a lot of respect for Hypertherm, tremendous respect for Jesse Tyler. So I just wanted to take a moment to congratulate you, Jesse. You're the best. Couldn't be happier for you. With that, here's part two of my conversation with Jenny Levy. Give me your thought, if you don't mind, that one of the conversations in employee ownership is about the founder's legacy. Mm -hmm. And when we talk about succession planning, this is, mm -hmm. is one of our selling points is the best way to cement your legacy is through employee ownership. You're not going to be sold you know, to a competitor. Your legacy won't necessarily be dismantled. So obviously... Dick and Barbara Couch, the founders of Hypertherm, their DNA is all over Hypertherm. But at some point, Jenny, when it becomes employee ownership, the legacy creation shifts a little bit. You're following in the couch's footsteps, but it's your DNA that's now creating the employee ownership. It's all of your colleagues. In other words, at what point is there a shift from we are building on the founder's legacy to we are now creating our own path and our own legacy in addition to the founder's legacy. Does that question make sense? It does. It's the founder in our case that entrusted what they had built to the associates. They started with 30% back in 2001, and they slowly expanded that. And then we were 100% beginning of 2014. And in many ways, they were the ones who said, we trust our associates collectively to carry this forward beyond our wildest dreams. What's inspiring, deeply inspiring about Dick and Barbara Couch is they set us on a path, but now they want to see it grow and, and expand and deepen those connections and commitments. And they entrusted the associates who do the work, who know the work, who were there all along the way to be the best stewards of the legacy, sure, but more importantly, the best stewards of the future and to be able to be the ones to adapt and to grow and to lead into the future. That when you collectively hold that responsibility as owners, you're going to get a better outcome than some person sitting in some corner somewhere. We have 
we are tapping constantly into all of the expertise and passions and perspectives of all of our associates and their connections to our customers, to our partners, to our communities. Gosh, you know, that's a much stronger net and a much stronger engine for the future than putting it all on a person next or even a small private equity group or something. Man, we got 2,000 jet engines now, not just one. So I think it's the past is something that we are stronger because of, and it provides this incredibly strong platform from which we continue to launch into our future. I love that. I've got two more questions along the lines of what we've been talking about. And then with your permission, I'd like to talk a little bit about the Hypertherm Hope Foundation and one or two, I'll call them related things that you're doing. But taking a page out of Jesse Tyler's podcast, the Owner to Owner podcast, Mm -hmm. and it is Women in Manufacturing Mm -hmm. Month, or I'm sorry, it's, it's Women's History Month. And Jesse's been doing the Women in Manufacturing podcast. Can you talk about Women in Manufacturing at Hypertherm? You know, the path, it seems to be very mindful, just very broadly, that the opportunities and the women who have been on Jesse's podcast have all been very clear. It doesn't actually matter which gender you are. It's good for men too. But can you share about the women in manufacturing experience at Hypertherm? What might set it apart? Sure. One person on Jesse's podcast talked about being a woman as her superpower. And I loved that. She said, oh my gosh, well, being a woman is my superpower. What I loved about that was ideally at every organization and ideally at Hypertherm, and I, I hope this is true, every person knows that they are needed and that they belong. We have a core value of respect for the individual. And we have also a critical success factor around fostering inclusive and diverse teams. So one of the things about an ESOP is that you know you're stronger when you're getting more perspectives into a decision or into a process because people are coming at it from different angles. One of the fundamental aspects of diverse teams is when you have different thinking, different problem solving, different perspectives, and there is true inclusion and respect for those perspectives, you're going to get a better outcome. So then when it comes to women and gender in general on the spectrum of gender, those perspectives can bring once again, another angle. Those are not, it's not a uniform angle, not all women or identifying women or cisgender women all have the same perspective, not at all. But absolutely, they could, as long as they know that they have a unique aspect to them, their perspective, and that they are included, needed, they belong, and they have the ability to genuinely contribute. Now you really start tapping into the superpower of a woman and the superpower of a Latina and a superpower of a direct style thinker, an engineer thinker, a creative thinker, all of that. So for women in manufacturing, it is by far the minority here at Hypertherm is women, majority male. And so there are some really interesting and cool perspectives. There was a woman, for example, on Jesse's podcast talking about being pregnant right now. And she was saying, gosh, I'm concerned about how I'm going to be an assembler of our heavy duty machinery or, you know, our heavy industrial line as a pregnant woman. Well, what's fascinating about that is, yes, and for everybody ergonomically, for everybody's backs and for hers, she talked about, gosh, I just want to make sure there's no fumes around, especially now that I'm carrying a child. Absolutely for her. And so that acute awareness, that acute dedication is also one we hold for every associate. So we're going to be better 
on the heavy industrial assembly line because of her perspective as a pregnant woman, where everyone will benefit from that perspective. So I, I loved that story. And again, I just love Jesse's podcast because it's bringing about those unique things that are good for those individuals, but they will make a better, safer, stronger work environment for everybody. Again, assuming that we have genuine inclusion, respect, curiosity for those different perspectives. Jenny, I loved that as well, that segment. And what struck me, and I hope people will check the the segment out through Jesse's website, but what struck me was she had also made very clear she was hesitant about asking for these accommodations. She didn't lightly say, as a pregnant woman, I shouldn't inhale the fumes, but she said she felt a little bit awkward having these accommodations made. And it was the combination in my mind of, she wasn't necessarily comfortable saying, treat me differently, but gave great respect to the fact that everybody, of course, made the accommodations that were needed. You know, that it was such a non-issue for her colleagues to give her these things that the kind of the humility of humility in the best way of humbleness. I wish I didn't need this, but I'll gratefully accept it that I just thought was powerful on her part and on Hypertherm's part, you know, but to your point of, it's kind of funny because we hear things like I was like, pregnant women shouldn't inhale bad fumes. And, and you said like, well, maybe nobody else should either. And I'm like, well, okay, that's a good point too. You know, it's funny how we get in these little uh, thought bubbles and, and you kind of knocked me out there a little bit. Yeah, I think it's all about trust. I think a lot of it is about trust, trusting that you can speak up for what your perspective is and that you can trust to ask for what you need no matter who you are. And yes, women are a very important part of that, but as is as are other groups as well. And to your point where women are in the minority in, in manufacturing at hypertherm, but I assume your percentage is much better than the industry averages, you know, that you're just so mindful uh, about that. One of the cool things, a number of the guests made clear in terms of, you know, Jesse's question to them of why women should apply for, for manufacturing. They were just no hesitation of just do it, you know, just there is yeah. no reason not to do that, which is very cool. Jenny, I'll take one more page from Jesse, and that is Jesse has his guest share why people should come work for the companies to do a little pitch on why to come work in your case, hypertherm, but I'm going to tweak it just a little bit differently. And I'm going to sit in the role of anyone who might be interested in a job in manufacturing and a job at hypertherm. And you are the executive vice president of people, community, and environment. Could you tell me why I and everybody I'm representing right now should consider come working for Hypertherm? Well, you have two questions there, manufacturing and then Hypertherm. What I love about manufacturing is that it is real people making real things that do real work out in the economy and in the world. It's tangible. It's You can see bridges go up, buildings go up, rail cars get made, ships get built, fences get fixed. It's just incredibly satisfying to see that, to see people here with their hands on our products, making them, and then to see products out there because we make machinery that is again has hands on it 
and that the care, the diligence, we also heard from some design engineers, the care and the diligence on the safety and the effectiveness of our products, and then seeing that out there for people and knowing that their safety is getting cared for is a really satisfying part of manufacturing in general. So that's just that pitch. At Hypertherm, coming to a place that you can eat off the floor, and I have in fact dropped my lunch on the floor, picked it up and fully eaten it afterwards, but that coming to a place that treats manufacturing as it should be. It is the highest order work we could all do. And we're treating the people doing this work with the greatest respect as they should be treated always. So a company deeply committed to that, who's been at that for 54 years with a set of values that drive our work to against which we measure ourselves and each other to really be a, our company measures its success on a triple bottom line approach. Yes, profit, but heck yes. We have profit sharing, we have ESOP, we have long-term value generation. So profit absolutely is a success factor, as is the engagement, the experience, the development, the careers of our people, as is the strength of our communities and the health of our environment. We have a triple bottom line definition of success. We have a triple bottom line approach to work. And those embedded values and broader set of values means a much more meaningful way to work. And you're also working with people who've also chosen this environment as well. So it's just this, for me, a fascinating and really invigorating, deeply fulfilling combination of how to spend a career. I love that. And you are likely, if you become an associate owner at Hypertherm, to spend your career there, touching back to the retention and the lack of attrition and that sort of thing. Jenny, a couple more things and, and we will wrap up. And I'm so grateful for all of your time. A couple of years ago, I did a podcast. I think the New England chapter of the ESOP Association had a session on the recovery-friendly workplace. And I did a podcast on there. I have been in recovery from alcohol and drug abuse since Memorial Day, 1990. It's most of thank, thank you. It beat dying. You know, I've got one of those very humbly, those of us who are in recovery a long time, uniformly don't understand why it took with us and not necessarily other people. You know, yeah. so there's a little bit of there, but for the grace of God, go I. Yeah. But tell me about Hypertherm's embrace of the recovery friendly workplace. What is it, if you don't mind, and why is that important to Hypertherm and, and to you, if it is? Oh, deeply important to us and to me. So we are deeply committed to being a recovery-friendly workplace. This all started probably, let me think here, about 10 years ago. A few factors happened. One, we had an associate pass away from overdose. It was devastating to us. That happened in the context in Northern New England here of an increasing opioid abuse crisis in which more and more citizens were misusing opioids and dying from overdose. There was a true epidemic and in some ways that's still continuing. We are very connected with our community. It's a core value we've just been talking about. And it hit us close to home. Not just that, we had brothers of associates pass away. We had parents of associates pass away. We had children of associates pass away. We had people missing their family and friends because they had been lost to opioid use and they were not able to connect with them. So we started to 
feel and see and experience this firsthand and through our associates. When you're an associate-owned business, you must and should stay connected to what's on everybody's minds, and we seek to do that. So we knew this was increasingly important. We also have a deep commitment to meet our associates where they're at and to respect where they're at and to bring them along in their career, in their training, in their journey. And so these all started to kind of combine and started to realize we have a lot of work to do. And the work we started to do was one, to educate ourselves on what is substance use disorder. It's a disease. It changes your brain chemistry. When someone suffers from a disease, you don't tell a diabetic it's weak of them to need insulin. You find them the medicine, you educate them on diet, et cetera. So with substance use disorder, we started to really think about that. We looked at our processes and procedures and realized they were punitive and punishing to people with a disease, as opposed to meeting someone where they're at in their path to recovery, offering someone employment as part of their recovery, educating a leader around clarity, connection, and support for somebody in recovery. We rewrote our policies when someone tested positive for a substance. And instead of approaching them and saying, have you or have you not been using? Many people initial uh, response is to say no. Uh, Another line. (laughs) Now they're lying and we would terminate them for lying because honesty and integrity is a core value. Instead, we said, this is positive. Your, Your test is positive. Let's connect with a LADAC, a licensed alcohol and drug counselor. Let's talk about where you're at, what's going on, and giving it a chance, giving them a chance, their disease a chance to really be understood and to get treatment. Then when they sign a substance use disorder agreement, it is around an agreement through and with their LADAC, not here at Hyperdome, but their own LADAC, to say, okay, this is what your recovery path needs to look like. What are those milestones that we're all looking for? If and when there was or is a relapse, we reconnect with the LADAC, let's contextualize this relapse to understand where what this really means. Because is this a deeper issue where we're putting themselves and others at risk? Or is this a relapse? For example, we had an associate relapse. There was a dealer going to AA and NA meetings and targeting people new to recovery with using it. The conversation we had with the associate and their LADAC was to change the location of their NA meeting that they were going to, where it wasn't as renowned for people getting targeted new to recovery. They changed the location. They have sustained their recovery ever since, Brett. But that's context-based leadership. That's meeting people where they're at. So changing our policies, changing our approach, we trained every single leader in the organization on substance use disorders from our CEO management team through every single leadership layer. And that was to increase education. It was also to reduce stigma. We had many courageous associates come forward and wanting to share their journey and path of their own recovery, like you just did with this community, to help break stigma. And so then to provide hope and connection through employment. It is proven that people who are employed have a stronger chance to sustain recovery. And so let's give that pride. Let's give that stability of employment 
to someone who is working their butt off to sustain recovery. So that is a very complicated, tumultuous path. But where we are now is a close connection with some local organizations who support people seeking recovery and sustaining recovery. For example, Headrest here in Lebanon, New Hampshire. We are a partner to their Opportunity to Work program. So people who have started recovery and are seeking employment with varied uh, different backgrounds on their background checks and employment history, because that's what misuse does. We and so we're partnering there. We fund this work through the Hope Foundation out in the community with specific targeting of people sustaining recovery and education to prevent misuse. We now have a recovery network of people who choose to support each other who are in recovery, and we are asking them to help us inform our practices at Hypertherm. Our practices include now we have, you know, overdose reversal medicine by every AED device. So an AED is for heart attacks. We have no ox box for our, for potential overdose. We treat them the same, a heart attack and an overdose. So those two life-saving measures are side by side here in our workplace. And we have more work to do. We still know that people are falling into substance misuse. We still know people are overdosing. We still know people are passing away. Luckily, our own associates have not passed away since the one that we described, but it's around, yeah, it's, Humility. It's, it's so important what you're doing. I'm glad that attitudes have changed. It is a little bit unfortunate. And like all aspects of our society, it's complicated. When it was time for me to go to rehab at the age of 22, and then my story is not unique. I then spent five years partying after rehab till I finally sobered up. I love that the views are changing and more of an acceptance, but it's also from Hypertherm's perspective, and I don't know if I'm saying it right, why cast off a segment of society that would be valuable owners, associate owners, if they got into a good recovery? And I imagine, you know, you had mentioned the contract or agreement that they have to sign. This is not come party at work every day. There are, you know, I've got familiarity with it. There are rules, there are expectations, they must be followed. But it does give you access to a segment of the population if it's a recovery friendly workplace. So that's also, you know, ties in you're doing good stuff, but there are good reasons to do the good things. Am I saying that right? You're saying that right. I think too, it's not just people in recovery, but people who want to be part of a company that understands that recovery is needed and real because of their experience through friends and family. And I, I, I think that, you know, there's interesting data out there that also talk about people in recovery are ever more loyal and ever more dedicated to employment and to their employer. You are getting a resilient associate. You're getting a strong associate. You're getting someone who hopefully knows how to advocate for themselves, who can speak up about what they need and what they see others needing. You're talking and working now with someone who has seen the bottom and built themselves up. My gosh, who wouldn't want that by your side to handle now a tricky business problem? It's a skill set that people have built through recovery 
that we must honor and respect and is a great asset to our business. This is not a liability. These are huge assets. These are strength. These are incredible people. And all among us, you know, again, this is not those folks. This is all of us in our own way of our own demons. And so this is one set of demons that this group has admirably overcome. But as you just said, are day by day challenged by. And so I am proud to be working alongside so many people in recovery. I am deeply proud. I appreciate the program. I appreciate what you're doing and your thoughts are. And this is one subject that I've shared with Jesse might be uh, very wonderful if you and Jesse would come on and, or perhaps other folks at Hypertherm and get into the mechanics of the recovery-friendly workplace. I think that would be a very important episode to have. And, you know, it's kind of funny. I'm not comfortable sharing that I'm in recovery. I do it regularly, but people need to know that there is a future that you can overcome. And to some extent, and it's been quite a while now, but even 10 years into recovery, people would shame me because, you know, of addiction. Well, it's, it's human nature. And now I don't even think it's happened in probably 10 years, but now it's like, it's been 30 years. You know, what does somebody, and this is the point of the recovery friendly workplace a little bit. What does somebody have to do to say, Hey, I'm welcome back in society. So a lot of my, and I've been very fortunate and very blessed. And, you know, again, it's funny because, you know, recovery is really hard. And that's why I also dropped the, I entered my sobriety date is five years after I was in rehab. You know, the advantage of the rehab is it trained me how to do it, but it is so, so important. And I am so uh, grateful to you, to Hypertherm and Governor Sununu has done in New Hampshire, a decent amount in the recovery friendly workplace. And yes. Uh, I'm grateful anytime the government can do something proper. If we can, and I'm so grateful for all of your time, I would like to give you the opportunity to share about the Hypertherm Hope Foundation and just anything that you would like to share and what you're doing. And I realize that could probably be an hour and a half episode on itself. So I, I, don't, want, I don't want to give a short shrift, but would I'd be remiss if, if you didn't share about the Hypertherm Hope Foundation. Sure. So the Hypertherm Hope Foundation was founded in 2010 by Barbara Couch, and it really formalized the philanthropic giving that we had been doing as a company for decades before that. What is, I think, most inspiring about the Hypertherm Hope Foundation is that all decisions for grants out into the community are made by a team of Hypertherm associates from all types of positions and corners of the organization. It is not a single person, it is not the CEO, it is not the executive team, it is this group of inspired and compassionate associates who assess and decide and then vote, there's a governance process, on all the grant funding that goes out to meet the needs of the community. It is the most inspiring work you could be a fly on the wall for, just to listen to people bringing their perspectives, asking questions, and really thinking through need and how we can best meet those needs. So that's, I think, that the first really inspiring part of the Hypertherm Hope Foundation. Decisions are put into the hands of associates. We also even have a Hope team, a group of associates on our third shift who are also making a set of decisions for a subset of our grant so that we can put decision-making again into all hands of our associates. But the Hypertherm Hope Foundation itself has three strategic focus areas, and then it supports some broader community grants. The first strategic focus area is STEM. 
So as an industrial manufacturer, as many people who are working in high-tech manufacturing and engineering here, we have a lot of interest and passion around STEM by our associates. We also see, especially here in rural northern New England, there is a lot of need in our communities to connect with people who are strong in science, technology, engineering, and math. And there are a lot of needs in schools, after-school activities, and also for stronger career paths for STEM. So our first strategic focus area is STEM, and really engaging and exciting students from age 8 through 8th grade is really our sweet spot of focus on STEM in and out of school. Our second strategic focus area is substance use disorders, really thinking about programs and organizations who are focused on delivering sustained recovery for people in our community, education on prevention, and reducing stigma in the community as well. So we have focused grants and partnerships around substance use disorders across our community. And our third strategic focus area is early childhood development. And really that sweet spot, we've really tried to focus our grant funding on three areas there. One is childhood resilience, because as you build resilience, it's a great antidote to adverse childhood experiences or ACEs. Resilience is really important. The second focus there is parental confidence. How can you build skills for parents? So that, because kids don't get delivered with a handbook. So how do we help with parental confidence? And also how do we help the third focus within that one is a child care center quality. So how do we help fund professional development? How do we help fund aspects to improve quality within childcare centers? We feel that those focus areas are places that we can really affect positive and strong change. And then, so those are our three strategic focus areas. Again, our STEM, substance use disorder, and early childhood. And then we have a broad set of community grant buckets that focus on, for example, education in the arts, that focus on environment and trail work, focus on health and wellness. Those are some broader grants that go out and partnerships that we have with some incredible organizations here in the Upper Valley. We also have philanthropic hope teams in all of our locations where we have a business presence. So in Lockport, New York, Minnesota, Seattle, Washington, the Netherlands, Sao Paulo, Brazil, Shanghai, Singapore, these are India, these are all locations where we have offices and we have associates. They too have philanthropic funds that they too make decisions on how to allocate into their communities to meet the greatest needs and in a way that they feel that they can deliver impact. So that's really the grant funding aspect of the Hypertherm Hope Foundation. And then that gets coupled often within service time coming from a Hypertherm Associates generally. Every Hypertherm Associate is given 40 hours of paid time to serve in the community, and they do so how they choose. And so the service time means for many nonprofits far more than grants. And for other nonprofits, that grant money is really helpful towards sustaining their operations, surging forward on a project, closing out a housing uh, need that they have, et cetera. It's incredibly inspiring to see the process, the talent, the drive that our associate owners bring to all of our philanthropic work within the hyper 
Hypertherm Hope Foundation. And we're a public foundation. So we accept grants from the public. We get them from retirees, associates, leaders, community members who see the unique design of some of our grant making and programs that we're delivering out into the communities as worthy of their investments. And we're very proud and humble to get those donations. I love that, Jenny. We're going to include a link to the Hypertherm Hope Foundation in our show notes, and there'll be other uh, things there as well. But if folks are looking for a great cause that is making a real impact, and you said so much powerful stuff, I, I, I think that to me, obviously STEM, you know, in manufacturing makes all the sense in the world. I have a personal connection to the recovery. The early childhood strikes me again as just one of those things that, that hypertherm does so well for multi-purpose. And on the one hand, we all benefit from enhanced childhood. But on a micro level, if your associate owners are more comfortable about their own kids' daycare situation, they're able to be at work doing better jobs. So there is that kind of practicality that also helps with the uh, greater good that I love that very much. Yeah. Jenny, I am so entirely grateful to you for your time today. I am grateful to Hypertherm for Jesse Tyler generally and uh, (laughs) uh, the work he's doing on the Owner to Owner podcast. And is there anything that you have spent so much time with me and I'm so grateful? Is there anything you wish you had brought up that I didn't get to? No, Brad, I'm just so excited for the spotlight you're putting on EO and employee ownership. Thank you for allowing me to share Hypertherm's story and commitments. I hope it might be helpful or open up a dialogue with others out there because we know we have a lot to learn from others. So if you've cracked some of the problems that we're also trying to solve, I'd love to connect with your listening community as well. So thank you to, to you, Brett, for highlighting this really important governance structure, culture builder, and approach to uh, a more enlightened way of doing business. So thank you, Brett. Well, you are very welcome. Thank you for your kind words. And the list of things we didn't get to is vast. You're international, <laughs> you know, that the ESOP isn't international, yet they're all associate owners. There are so many different things. And uh, a couple of things that we'll look to have uh, uh, maybe you and some of your team members and perhaps Jesse come on and uh, visit again. But folks, if you're looking for work in manufacturing, let me be very specific. Take a look at Hypertherm. It's everything Jenny has talked about. And I keep saying... And, and no layoffs in their history to this point. But you have a lot of very special things going on in Hypertherm, Jenny. And what I really love about it is it all seems to be mindful. It's not accidental. You know, there's so much going on because you folks have decided to put together something that's really special. So with that, I'll thank you again, Jenny, for joining us. And to the listeners, thank you very much for joining me. As always, I really appreciate it. This is Brett Kiesling. Be well. We'd love to hear from you. You can find us on Facebook at EO Podcast Network and on Twitter at ESOP Podcast. This podcast has been produced by Brett Kiesling for the EO Podcast Network. Production assistance by Victoria Huerta. Original music composed by Max Kiesling. Branding and marketing by Bitsy Plus Design. And I'm Bitsy McCann.